0: More Than Conquerors is supported by the generous gifts of listeners like you. You can find us online by going to livingwordchurch.org. Have you ever wondered what heaven will be like or dare imagine what we'll see when we get there? Might you even question if there really is such a place? With Christmas week just around the corner, many get caught up in the mystery of the birth of Jesus but fail to realize why He had to come to earth as a man in the first place. Jesus was born so he might die a perfect sacrifice, guaranteeing forgiveness of our sins and ensuring those born again a place in what the Bible identifies as heaven. Yet not many Christians have given serious thought to heaven nor what spending eternity there will really be like. Pastor Ray's unique three-day message, Heaven is a Real Place, is one not often heard, but so powerfully filled with hope, beauty, and wonderment, we must wonder why we hear so little about it. Here's Pastor with more on that very real place we call heaven.
1: Today, the message that I want to talk to you about is the reality of heaven, the reality of heaven. How many of you know That if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, that you are headed to heaven. Amen? Well, let me ask you this question. How many people here this morning want to go to heaven? Let me see your hands. Wow. All right, put your hands down. How many people in this room want to go to heaven right now? (laughs) All right, there you go. Well, you see, okay. Say, man, I'm ready to check out. All right? (laughs) Well... The bottom line to it is that even though we're going to talk about the splendors and the glories of heaven and some different things that we're going to talk about, and you can open while I'm, I'm talking to Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, but the reality of it, of it the, the reality is that even though we know our final destination is this glorious, awesome place called heaven, that God has given us this life to enjoy. And, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, this is, this is hell on earth. Well, you know, yeah... Life has some challenges and some struggles, but you shouldn't let that get in the way of enjoying life and getting the most that you can get out of life. I'm believing to live a long life, all right? The Bible promises us 70 to 80 years, and then, you know, that's, that's what Proverbs says, but then there's another verse that tells us that we could live to be 120. So anywhere between 70 and 120 is what is allowed by God for a human being to be on this earth. So I encourage you, I encourage everybody here to enjoy life and to seek to live long but we cannot ever forget for a minute that we're not on this earth forever that we're just passing through and that our final destination is this place called heaven can i get a better amen than that all right so we're all destined and bound for heaven the Bible has some wonderful things to say. People ask questions about heaven all the time, especially if a loved one passes away. Like, you know, are we going to recognize one another in heaven? Are we going to recognize people, family members? You know, do we have, are we conscious when we're in heaven? What is our physical condition or our spiritual condition going to be? Uh, what are we going to look like? And today, we're going to investigate and try to talk about some of these things. And we're going to start in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. And this is a good place to start. And I'm going to read the passages, and then we're going to go back and make some comments about it, all right? So we're going to go to verse 19 of Luke's Gospel 16, and so there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. That in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said I beg you therefore father that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him. They have, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Well, the very first thing we want to learn about this particular story here in the book of Luke is that unlike many other teachings that Jesus did, this is not a parable. A parable is just a fictitious story Um, using certain things to try to explain a truth. But in this particular case, we understand that this is not a parable, but this is an actual account that Jesus is relating to. And the way we understand that, the reason why we come to that conclusion, is simply because in parables, he never used specifics. He never used names. He said, like, "A a sower went out to sow seed. In this particular case, he names a rich man, he said what he was dressed with, He names a man named Lazarus, and he gives us very specific details of what was going on at the time of the telling of this story. So we can see from that that this is not just a parable, but this is an actual account that Jesus is talking about, and he's relating this blow-by-blow story of what happened to the rich man and what happened to Lazarus. So having that understanding, we can now go into these verses and really begin to learn some very important and valuable things about heaven, about the afterlife, and um, some very... Valuable and important things that I think will benefit us as we begin to study this and really break it open and take a look at it now the very uh, very first thing another thing that I want to say before we begin to look more into this is that get this thinking out of your head because this is traditional or religious thinking that somehow the rich man ended up in hell because he was a rich man he didn 't end up in hell because he was a rich man. all right um, The bible clearly says let 's just go back and, and use it The Bible says that the love of money is the root to all evil. Money is not the root to all evil. I know a lot of, I know a lot of poor people um, that are equally as ugly and unconcerned as this rich man was, and they don't, they don't even have any money. You know, they're, they're, they're just as bad. You see, what kept the rich, rich man out of the presence of God was simply that he obviously had no relationship with God. Because here this beggar sits at his doorstep, at his gate every day, And he has absolutely no compassion nor nor any drive to do anything to help and to assist this poor man, which is a clear sign that this man did not know God. And if he did know God, he was very, very far from God because he was so self-absorbed and so self-consumed that he was not and could not be moved by the need of another man. And that's a very bad place to be in. And that's one of the ways you can tell. You can see the difference between someone who's saved and not saved many, many times. All right? So, so the, 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 the fact of the matter is it wasn't his wealth that, that put him or kept him from heaven or put him into hell. It was the fact that he did not know God. And maybe, maybe in some way the wealth did because he was so... Uh, self-sufficient, that maybe he didn't feel he needed God. And there are a lot of people who are in that condition and in that place, and if you're in that place, you're in a very extremely dangerous place. But please understand that he didn't end up in hell because of his riches. You can be rich and still love God, and you can have the good things of the earth and and prosper and do well and love God, And, and as long as you keep those things second and you keep God first, you're going to be really good. As long as you never worship those things or look to those things for your uh, for your salvation or for, uh, for anything else, but keep them in the right perspective. You can have wealth, you can have riches, and you can be a very wealthy person in this life and still love God and still be saved and go to heaven. You know, right now there's a lot of talk about that. You hear it all over the place. There's hatred towards um, you know, rich people occupy Wall Street, whatever it is. I don't want to get into politics or wherever you stand on what side of the issue. But there seems to be a lot of anger towards wealth and towards wealthy people. Well, that's nonsense. God's not mad. God's given riches and God's given wealth for us to have it and to enjoy it, to do the right things with it. So I'm not, I'm not you know, one of the things that I, this is, this is a side note. One of the things that I learned is I don't get offended by people's success. I want to take lessons, not offense. If you've done something, I want to learn from you, and I want to try to you know, follow in your footsteps and apply the principles that you put to work. Uh, so wealth and being wealthy and having something in this life um, is not a sin, and it's not that sin that put um, this man in hell. What put him there was his insensitivity. He obviously didn't know God. He just didn't have a relationship with God. Amen? So we could talk about that more and more, but I want to get into some of the things. Now, now, the other thing that's interesting is in these opening verses, verse 19 and 20, notice that Jesus refers to the rich man as just a rich man, but he knew Lazarus by name. There's another clue or another way to understand what we another way to to come to this conclusion that the rich man was not known by God he wasn't saved he, well he couldn't be saved but see in that day they were righteous men and righteous women that loved God and did the best they could to follow after the word of God and that's what gave them the assurance at that time to be with God but you see in this particular parable Jesus names Lazarus the beggar but he didn't even know who the rich man was he didn't even know his name you see and it goes to prove there's verses that says, my sheep know, know me and I know them you know Jesus, there's verses, we we gave some of them on Thursday night. But it's, it's pretty curious that he names Lazarus by name, But the rich man, he didn't even know him, you see. Jesus is going to know you. When you're saved, your name is written in the books, in the Lamb's book of life. And and Jesus knows each and every one of us by our very name. He knows every hair that's counted, every hair that's on your head has been numbered by God. That's how intimately he knows us. But those who do not know God, those who have not given their hearts to the Lord, those who do not follow after the Lord Jesus, he doesn't even know your name. He doesn't even know who you are. He doesn't, Because you're not a part of him. You're not in his family yet. Come on, somebody give me a better amen than that. All right. So he goes on to say in verse, um, well, let's see, 20. He says, there was a, a, a beggar, a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores. Look at the details that he gives. He was full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it goes on to say in verse 22, it says, so it was that the beggar died... And was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now let's just stop there because we've got some things that we want to investigate and talk about. Well, the very first thing that I learned from this verse, and you're going to get going to get some insight into the into the work that angels do in the lives of believers. Do you realize that right now there are angels in this room? There, I believe there's a big angel standing right here. He's got his hand over me and over us, and for, you know, just making sure that the anointing of God is is here and that we complete the mission that God has given for us for this day. And then there are angels positioned around this room to deliver, uh, you know, and dis- dispense the power of God and the things of God to believers. Angels are actively working all the time, whether you are fully aware of it or not. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, I believe it's. Um, I got to get a Proverbs is it or Proverbs 35 36 says that the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him and they deliver them so we learn from that verse I believe it's it's Proverbs we learn from that verse that that everyone who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has an angel assigned to them to watch over them and to keep them and to deliver them from all kinds of harm throughout life. And I, you know, you say, well, still things happen to people. Well, you're going to find out when you get to heaven. You're going to, I just believe this, God's going to show us a little videotape when we get there. We're going to see how many disasters we were saved from because of the work of the angels that God has put in our way. So so the, the activity and the work of angels is very vast and it's very broad and it covers a lot of different areas. But in this particular case, we learn a very interesting aspect of what angels do. It said the moment that Lazarus died, that the angels came and escorted him right into the presence of God. Now the very moment you close your eyes, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the very moment you close your eyes on this side of eternity, I believe this, there will be angels that will be ready to escort you right into the presence of Almighty God. I remember a story that that, and I don't, know if I didn't get to talk to my brother-in-law about this, but I remember the story. I think it was, I think it was Lee that I think it was, um, his sister-in-law, his brother's wife, many years ago. She she passed away at a young age, and before she passed away, they had the opportunity to talk to her about the Lord and bring her to salvation and. And um, it was, you know, very uh, late in life, but she did it just, just shortly before she died. But I remember them reporting that when she was at the point of death, she kept saying she saw men in white in the room. Well, I believe what she was seeing were the angels that God had assigned to take her and to escort her into the presence of God. You see, this is one of the aspects, this is one of the, the work, works that the angels do at the moment of death. They're going to be by your side. And you remember when Jesus ascended into heaven, there were angels that were present, escorting, basically, right? Escorting him up to, back to, to the presence of God. So we can see and we learn by this verse that Jesus gave us that at the moment of your death, there will be angels that will escort you right into the presence of God. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Think about that. Awesome. Now the other thing we want to talk about here, it says that so, let me read verse 22 again. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now let's just talk about Abraham's bosom. Because what you have to understand is up to this point in time until the coming or actually until Jesus completed his work on the cross... Heaven, the way we understand it to be now, was not available to anybody at this point. Because we can't get into all of this, but the sin of Adam and Eve and so on and so forth, everything got shut down. And now, those that were righteous in that day before Christ, when they died, like Moses and Elijah and all these prophets that we spoke about... ...when they died, they could not go into the direct place where God lives, which is called heaven but they went to this place called Abraham's bosom. It's sort of like uh, a holding place that they waited. And in this place, they waited until the fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus and the work of Jesus in this earth, which ultimately would pave the way back to the resting place of God, which is his heaven. Can I get a better amen than that? So I want to show you a little bit. um, How many of you remember the day that you remember on the cross, Jesus said, When he had the thief on one side, he said... Today you will be with me in paradise, right? Well, paradise is another way to say another word that describes Abraham's bosom. It it wasn't heaven yet, but it was paradise. It was a place of peace and a place of rest, but it wasn't the fullness of what God had really wanted for his people and for his children to have and to enter into. So with that, I want you to go over to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's just look because I want to just show you a little bit of what took place um, in this Abraham's bosom and um, let's go over to Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4 and let's go over to verse 8. So I want to just show you a little bit of what happened that day when Jesus hung on the cross and that thief was with him and the activity or the action that took place in those three days or that three day period Um, which is very vast and broad, and we can't get into all aspects of it, but I just want to talk about this one aspect of it. Look at verse 8. It says, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Uh, Verse 9 says, Now this he ascended, what does it mean, but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended, has ascended far above all all the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. So what we learned from Ephesians, and Paul is giving us here, he's telling us that when Jesus died, what he did is he led captivity captive. What was, who were the captives that he led captive? It were those, it was all of those who were resting in Abraham's bosom, or this place called paradise. Now that the the penalty for sin was paid and he signed the new contract... the New Testament with his own blood... now he could pave the way back to the dwelling place of God... which would be the heavens that God intended... or the place called heaven that God intended... for all of his children to rest in. Now you can see that more clearly as you read verse 10. It says, "...he who ascended is also the one who ascended... far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things." Pay attention to this far above all heavens. Because let me me try to make this real simple for you. There are really... How many remember when, when Paul had the revelation, he said that he was caught up in the third heaven? You remember that? Well, if there's a third heaven, there has to be a first and a second heaven. Paul identified that there was a third. So if there's a third, there has to be a first and there has to be a second. The first heaven, you might look at it this way, is this atmosphere that's around... Our globe called the world. That, could be the, that would be the first heaven. You go beyond the atmosphere and you go out into the universe where we see the stars and the sun and the moon and the galaxies. That's called the second heaven. That's the heavens as well. But then there's this third place that Paul talked about and identified. And I believe what he's talking about here when he said he ascended far above all the heavens. He went beyond this atmosphere, beyond the universe to the third place, the compartment, the the dwelling place of almighty God, which is called the heaven or heaven as we understand it. Now, now humans cannot build a telescope or equipment they can send all kinds of spacecraft they can or they want to build and send it out into the universe and they could go as far as it can go but they can never reach heaven the dwelling place of God the only way you get to the dwelling place of God is through the doorway of death so we see that this place called Abraham's bosom was just really a very temporary place where people were held uh, until this time when Jesus came and paid the penalty for the, for the sins of man, for the sin of Adam and Eve, and now paved the way back into this presence or the dwelling place of God, which was and is heaven. That's where God lives. And that's hopefully where we're all going to live. Amen? Amen? And I say hopefully because I just don't know if everybody is serving and has, or has given their life to the Lord and is continuing to cling to Jesus for their salvation because Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. All right. Now another another verse. um, Well, let, let me let me let me let's do this. There's different ways that I can go, but I want to go down this road for a while. Now notice it says. Let's just read again. It says, "So the beggar, verse 22, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Notice there was no fanfare for the rich man; he just got buried. Lazarus has this great reception of these awesome angels." And I would imagine that he got ushered into the presence of God and there was an applaud. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, you know. But the, the rich man who didn't know God, didn't care about anybody but himself, he just, he just died and, and was buried in the ground and forgotten about by everybody. Amen? Now, now I want you to look at verse 23. It says, and being in torments in Hades, speaking about the rich man, He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 24. Then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Well, let's just talk about those two verses. People want to know, well, what's going to happen when they get to heaven? Well, based on those verses, when you get to heaven, you're going to have full consciousness of everything. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me answer this question. People say, are we going to know each other? You better believe you're going to know each other because we have evidence right here that uh, the rich man, even though he was in Hades, still recognized Lazarus on the other side. So, so when we get to heaven, yeah, we're going to recognize each other. Our relationship to one another is going to be very different. If you are married in this world, you're not going to be married in heaven. As a matter of fact, Jesus answered that question because someone said to him, said, I've been married twice. I don't remember if it was a man or woman. I don't remember the story offhand. I just got the essence of it. But we can go back and, you can go back and read it. But he said, whose wife will will she be or whose husband will he be, uh, you know, when he gets there? He says, neither, nobody's. Because when you get to heaven, the relationship is going to change. The way that we look at each other, the way that we, you know, even the love that we have, it's going to be, first of all, everything's going to be centered on Jesus Christ. Everything's going to be centered on God and the glories and the splendors of heaven, not on each other. Our relationship with one another is going to change. We're going to know, we're probably going to say, oh yeah, we were married, you know, married to that guy for 40 years, praise God that I, you know. Thank God, you know, something like that. Maybe say, phew, praise God, we made it. Hallelujah.
0: Tune in tomorrow afternoon at 2 for More Than Conquerors with Pastor Ray. If today's message was a blessing to you, ask for your free CD of the broadcast for a gift of any amount to help support this radio ministry.